Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 184. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week, our guest is Paul David Thompson. Paul used to have a corporate day job. Now he's a full-time real estate investor who lives to help others find their way. Paul Thompson is turning his personal story of securing 20 deals in his first 18 months of investing into an inspiration to others. When Paul realized that the perfect time to start investing was never going to come, he jumped in and now he's doing about three deals per month. Paul is able to help himself as well as helping others build wealth with passive cash flow. Today, we're going to learn how Paul acquires his sweetest deals through various networking strategies. We'll share how you can enhance your communications to overcome the variety of challenges real estate investors face marketing to sellers in the digital age. It's all about having the right tools. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode with Paul Thompson. All right, today, welcome on the show, Paul Thompson. Paul, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Jacob, thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate the offer. Hey, it's our pleasure. I'm excited to have you on. Now, I've been uh, listening to your podcast a little bit this morning, so I'm super stoked to be talking with you. But before we get started with all that, can you tell the audience members just a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, your journey? It's a pretty common one, but also unique in its own aspects. So just kind of walk us through your journey, how you get started in the world of real estate investing and just kind of your path up to this point. Sure thing. It's common because I was like so many other people who are probably listening to this in that I was a working person and I was just trying to make my way in life and earning an income and paying for my life. But I gradually started realizing it took me a long time to really figure this out, probably 15 years, I would say that working a job, there's no shame in it, but it's a lot like being dirty. There's no shame in being dirty, but you don't want to wallow in it. I think it's the same way for being employed. There's no shame in it. And it's certainly a viable mechanism and method to develop your skills, provide value into the workplace, kind of find yourself. But at some point, you are going to realize it may be 65 or 85 or 25 that you don't want to have to go back to work anymore. And it became apparent to me that I really am tired of having to go to work. It really hit me when one specific issue or one specific summer, I was on a summer vacation with my family and they wanted to extend the vacation. I had the money. My wife didn't work. So and my kids were out of school. So there was the only limiting factor that kept us from extending our vacation was me and my job. And I worked in tele telecommunications company, which created the very technology that allows working remotely in the technology that you and I are using <laughs> right now. They yeah, had a right. policy that said, no, you can't work remotely like that. You have to be back, have your butt in a chair on Monday. And that just <laughs> pissed me off. That was how it, it kind of hit me. It's like, I never want to have to ask permission to spend time with my family again. The people that I cherish and value the most end up spending the least amount of time with that 
actually, as it turns out. And then I get these few like furlough vacations every once in a while. And I realize I'm in jail, I'm in prison and I had to find a way out. And it took me a while to discover that real estate was going to be my path because I looked at everything. I thought about starting a business. I thought about starting an insurance agency. I thought about buying a franchise. I wanted to do something else that earned an income where I could control my time. But all those other things I considered, I just couldn't help but feel like they were just another way of buying a job. I already had a job. I didn't want another one of those. I wanted something where I could control the outcome. And it's the whole Warren Buffett famous saying is that you're never going to be wealthy until you figure out how to make money while you sleep. Yeah. So how can I make money while I sleep? And that's what led me down to the path of real estate. Yeah. Well, I think you identified early on this underlying root issue and that's not, you didn't want to necessarily not have to work. It wasn't like you're trying to avoid hard work or doing something every day, but it was like that thing of you have to do this. It's this somebody else telling you what you have to do. And I can identify those areas in my own life. If I have to do something, I already borderline resent it. No matter what it is. Like if you said, Hey, Jacob, you have to sit on this beach and just watch the sunset every night. I'd be like, ah, you know, I'd rather maybe go do something else. Right. Even though it's not that bad of a gig. So here you are thinking like somebody else is in control of your own, your time and your life and dictating what you have to do. So you thought, okay, I've got to do something else. And I think it's very easy to fall into that trap of going and buying yourself a different job, right? Like you mentioned an insurance agency or a franchise. Well, you're just moving your problem to a different type of thing. Buying yourself another job isn't going to solve those problems. So you kind of stumble on real estate, but it was a little bit of a slow progression. So walk us through what that looked like for you and how you wound up in the world of real estate investing. So my wife and I had considered many, probably eight years prior to when I started doing real estate. We always kind of, I read a couple of books on it and I thought this is something I could do, but then you just kind of find your life taking over. You got the mortgage to pay and you got a, a job. And I started kind of climbing the corporate ladder. And then about 2015, I thought my ladder's on the wrong wall. It didn't take a, too much research for me to kind of remind myself, oh yeah, there's that. I considered doing real estate and getting some rentals. So how can I get back into that? Or how can I rekindle? that interest. And so I, like everybody, probably you find yourself in bigger pockets sooner or later, and you do a lot of research on bigger pockets. And then you realize, you know, this is, there's a whole world of people out there doing this. You start learning. I started going to conferences. I went to the local RIA, like everybody suggests, and made some friends, started talking to people. And then the biggest thing I did was I followed the common advice was go find a mentor and not one of these like $100,000 rich dad, poor dad type mentors that are, that don't really care if you are successful or not. Go and find somebody in and around what you're doing and ask them to, if they have anything that they can share with you. So what I did is I did some sort of internet search and I wish I could remember the exact way I got there, but I landed on some guy's website that was about an hour from here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I am. And he had a website about how he does his business. And I emailed him straight up and said, you know, I'm interested in learning more about real estate. I'll exchange my time for to help you. I'll do whatever you need to help. I just want to learn what you do. But I made it a big point that I was not just, I hate the saying, I want to pick your brain because all that is, is I want you to give me away for free what you've learned and give it to me. And that's not the way you want to approach somebody when you're trying to learn from them. You want to offer them something. And usually it's your time. If you don't know anything, it's your time and your energy and your hunger to do something helpful. And that's the way I approached him. And he called me back and said, yeah, I can help you. But first of all, you need to prove to me that you are actually hungry and that you are willing, you're coachable and that you'll actually do what I say. Okay. And so he had me go and buy the book, The Richest Man 
Men in Babylon and write a three-page handwritten essay. And I had to mail it to his P.O. box. No joke. <laughs> so I thought, this is some like Mr. Miyagi. What is going on here? So, okay, I'll do some wax on, wax off. Well, whatever, whatever you say. <laughs> so uh, sure enough, I did. And Three-page handwritten note over this book. Handwritten. Yeah. And I had to like, highlight the book and make marks in the book and then actually mail him a copy of the book that I had studied, that proven that I had studied it. Wow. And then <laughs> I sent him the book report, basically. What did I learn from this book? And it is, by the way, it's a very good book. I had not read it before. And I did that probably for over the next 10, 12 months. I probably wrote seven or eight essays for him like that. It wasn't probably until four or five into it that he actually even asked, told me to go read a real estate book. What he did do is say, go to these conferences and learn there. These guys are doing it better than better than anybody. They're the teacher's teacher and go learn from those guys. So I went to, I spent some money going to Tampa, going to Atlanta, going to Vegas and sitting through these three to four day conferences. But they were the type that that were actually there to teach you. And there wasn't a big sales pitch at the back of the room with a trying to twist your arm to pay for this big upgrade to a $100,000 coaching program. They were just there to teach, which I really much appreciated. So I took that knowledge and very quickly after acquiring that knowledge, I actually started applying it and I would test what I learned. And when I started, I was 37, 38 and I bought, I think 18 single family properties in 18 months. And so it took me a while to get started, but once I did, I was really quite serious about, about getting going. Yeah. So interesting there. And I think uh, one, can you imagine one of your buddies calling you, Paul, and saying like, Hey, I've got this question about real estate. And you're saying, Hey, first go back, read this book, highlight it, and then send me a three page paper. And then we'll talk like nobody would follow through with that, right? You'd eliminate all of these questions. So what that guy was doing is really kind of trying to test your confidence totally. and your willpower to like he was filtering. Go. He was filtering. Yeah, sure. So you did this and you did this several times. I think he was onto something there by having, you know, first kind of focus on that mindset before you're, you know, getting into the weeds of real estate investing, because that's so important. That's the foundation of your journey going forward is developing that mindset. So you spent some time doing that. Investing in yourself is another huge piece of it, right? So you're spending time and money and weekends away going to these conferences and learning before you ever pulled the trigger. So you really spent a long time kind of in this investing in yourself phase before you ever invested in a property. So once you started doing that, you really made a lot of progress in a short amount of time. So tell us how you were able to do that and what your thought was there. It's one of those things where I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes to talk about how many deals you do in a certain amount of time, because just because you do a deal doesn't mean it's a good deal or certainly not, not a great deal. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, when you're just getting started and you're trying to like open the, the Pringles can and take the first bite, I don't care how bad of a chip that is. I want you to eat that chip as soon as possible. I want you to get a result. I want you to say that I am a real estate investor, even if it's a, just an okay deal, because you will learn so much more by doing one deal that doesn't break you. Honestly, even if it does not go well, you will still learn way more doing that than you would by reading a thousand books. You have to put this stuff to practice. And so you, what I refer to it as, is open, pop into the top of the Pringles can and you start buying it. And once you taste that and you become a real estate investor, it's really hard to put that can down because there's <laughs> just so much fun to be had in investing in real estate. Yeah, I like it. And so it's true there. So yeah, I think when you're talking to people who haven't maybe done that first deal and they're considering, hey, I've got 20 or 30,000 or whatever that dollar is, what 
what should I do with this? Yeah. Should I go invest in a $25,000 a year guru mentor? Or should I buy a bunch of books and go to a bunch of conferences? Or should I do a very first deal? My default answer is always first, invest in yourself, get that education piece. But very soon after that, do a deal because you will learn so much just from actually going through the motions. And it'll kind of show you what's out there that you didn't even know you didn't know, right? So we were kind of talking about that before the show. There's just so much out there that you and I, even at this point, we don't know what we don't know, right? So I think right. it's a, a phenomenal way to just kind of get started. And like you say, I like that Pringles analogy. You can't just have one yeah. Pringle. So get that first one and then, yeah. Yeah, I tend to tell folks to pick a vertical. So what a lot of people do is they try and study about everything in real estate. And there are a lot of different verticals in real estate. There's single family, there's multifamily, there's raw land, there's commercial, and it just goes on and on. Pick one. And I think you've chosen the multifamily approach, the small multifamily, and I've chosen right. single family. There isn't one that's better or worse than the other. There are pros and cons to all of them. And Definitely. if you pick something that you resonate with, that you think is the lowest startup cost for you to get that knowledge. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that completely because I can think of when I was first investing, it's easy to get sidetracked. You just chase that shiny object syndrome. Yeah. Right? Like you see a buddy chasing a big apartment. You're like, oh, maybe I should look at apartments. And then you've got some guy over here that's got just a well-oiled raw land investing machine. You're like, oh, cool. I could maybe think about some raw land. And then you're looking at mobile home parks. And then you're looking at single families and trying to do a burr on a duplex. And there's just too much to focus yep. your time and energy on all of things. So you got to pick one and go with it. And from there, you can kind of spiral out and start to do different things. But yeah, I totally. definitely agree. You got to start with one path and just grow from there. So your path was single family. So tell us about that and why that. So the reason I chose single family is because, and it is typically what I tell people to start with, if they have no other, other better choice, then consider single family or small multifamily because they're small-ish deals in the scheme of things compared to like big commercial deals. And they're super intuitive. We know what people want in houses. This is not a big stretch for us to learn that people like a certain type of countertop or that, or we know what the difference between carpet and tile floor are. That's not a stretch for us. So you want to invest in something you understand the most first. And then if you want to get exotic and go to some of the more advanced level stuff, by all means get there. But the reason I chose single family is because I grew up in single families and there, and I happen to live in an area where there is an abundance of single families where the numbers work. The price to rent ratios here are very favorable. I live in the Southeast. That's very common in the Midwest and Southeast. Anywhere from where you're from, Oklahoma, over to the Atlantic Ocean, as long as you stay a little bit above of certain parts of Florida and you stay below the Mason-Dixon line, you have possibilities for great income, cash flowing income properties. So with a couple of exceptions, like maybe at Nashville or Minneapolis or something, Chicago, with the exception of those, you can just find a big population center and you will, there are deals there. So pick one. And that's the reason I chose. And I just so happen to live in one of those markets. So why would I step over deals that are literally right next to me to go to another market and do something else? more exotic. Yeah, sure. And I think what you're saying there is really important about being able to understand the single family space, right? So you could take somebody that's not a real estate investor, drive them down a neighborhood and say, look at this house. Is that a nice house? Is an expensive house to you? And people can say like, oh, well, that's a really nice house. So that's a big expensive house or uh, not so much. Or yeah, it's right. a rental quality house. Everybody's got like this base fundamental understanding of single family homes. Whereas if you take that same person, drive them by some apartment complexes and say, tell me what you guess the value of this 100 
standard unit is. People might give you values just all over the place, right? They just don't quite understand the value of this, say, larger apartment bill. Whereas single family space, most people have that fundamental base understanding. So yeah, I think it's a great way to uh, start from there and uh, just kind of plan on your strengths and understanding you're going to invest in this place because you kind of understand this. So when you kind of identified this asset class of single families that you wanted to invest in, what'd you do from there? How'd you do your very first deal? Do you have some money saved up and, you know, do the traditional route or what did that look like for you? <laughs> I had some money saved up, but I learned enough that I wanted to be very careful with using my capital too much. I wanted to always invest from a position of strength and not just scrape by and just get just enough money and just enough to get a deal done. And I was a little bit fortunate. I was in my mid thirties when, and I'd been working for a while, so I'd been able to save some money back, but most of it was tied up in qualified retirement accounts. And a lot of it still even is. So it's it's kind of hard for me to easily tap into that money without some tax applications. But I did have some capital back. So what I ended up doing was saying, you know what, I'm just going to buy a house. And so I went to the local RIA and I asked around and I found a local wholesaler and he actually currently runs our local RIA here in Little Rock. And he had a property and it was needed to work, but it wasn't anything scary. It was mostly, it was rough, but it was paint and carpet rough. Yeah. And there's no structural issues. The roof was fine. The mechanicals were working. They were older, but they were working. And I decided that I can buy that it's $30,000. So what I did is I did the birth strategy with it. And I went and found a private money lender off of bigger pockets and they lent me the money for the $30,000. So I ended up having none of my money to buy the property, but then I turned around, but then needed rehab. So I put some of my money into it to rehab it. And then I turned around and refinanced and paid off my money lender and recouped the most, if not all the money that I put into it as for the rehab. So I'm into it for $40,000 all in and it rents for six fifty, dollars and I still have it to this day. Yeah. Awesome. And I think that's very like, practical step-by-step -step approach. You go to a RIA, you tell people what you're doing, what you're looking for, find some connections through your networking. They give you a deal. You go through the motions, right? Like they lined it up and you're just at bat, ready to like take it down step-by-step, mm. -step, just like you were taught through your self-education. So right. go out, find a hard money lender. They give you the deal. You run the numbers, looks good, refinance. And then like, wow, you've done it, right? So there's that very first deal. And you're like, this process is awesome. It works. Like probably your proof of concept moment right there. It was, sure. exactly what it was. And that's exactly the way I approached it, you know, kind of scientifically where I have, I've learned something, I have a theory now and, and let me go put it into the marketplace and test it. And for one, does what they, what I've been taught, does it work? And do, can I make it work? And that's really the biggest gotcha is, do you know how to properly pull the levers to actually manifest the deal as you've learned it from an academic setting? Yeah, sure. And I think one thing a lot of people do differently getting started is use their own capital. So what you've done is kind of from the very get go built this system and allows you to do a very repeatable process, right? Because you've got no limiting factor with your own capital, which is a problem that many people run into very quickly, sure. whether you have a ton of money saved up or not so much money, no matter how wealthy you are at the end of the day as a successful real estate investor, you're eventually going to run out of your own capital. Something I found myself, right? So I did my very first deal saved up, bought it. Like, yep. okay, that's awesome. I want to do this again, do it again. It gets a little harder and a little harder every time. It takes a lot of capital, a lot of time and effort to save up for that deal. But if you can do like you've done and find somebody who's going to lend you the capital, then you move that bottleneck from the system. So I'm sure that's one of the ways that allowed you to grow so rapidly. Mm -hmm. And it helped that I had, I had good credit and I had an income. And so some of the same strategies would not work if you were really young and didn't have a, a long credit history. But there are other 
options. You can find private funds or you can partner with other people. The ultimate lesson that I learned about really running any sort of business or being doing kind of investment, you're not really after the money so much. And the money isn't really what you are, isn't your limiting factor. It's your own imagination. So the, the biggest lesson or biggest skill that you can create and develop is becoming resourceful. And when you're resourceful, then you can go and find any amount of resources that you need, but you have to know that what the different, you have to have the acumen, the, the knowledge to kind of piece these deals together. And so I've become a deal maker versus kind of an investor. I, mean, I, I like definitely that. I like that concept a lot. Yeah. Be a deal maker. When someone comes to me and they have a problem, I'm like, well, what is your problem? How can I solve it? And if I can't solve it, then I bring in a third party catalyst. So I don't like to do flips, but you can make money doing flips. What do I do? Well, I bring in somebody else who wants to go manage the property and turn the property and do all and manage the contractors. I, I really don't like doing that part. And I also bring in a third party investor who has the capital. And I don't want to put my capital at risk because I'm the deal maker. So I bring in somebody else's deal, or actually it's a deal that I find with my marketing because I control the deal. And then I bring into someone else's money and I bring in somebody else's labor, either a contractor or another investor. And I give them a big piece of the pie to help them manage the property for me. So I may split the deal 50-50 with somebody else who's doing all the work. I just do the paperwork. I just make sure everything's kind of pieced together. And I make $20,000 off a flip and I never even saw the house. <laughs> now we're talking, right? So you're saying <laughs> you're finding like these little niches that you like doing right. and things that you don't like to do. And you're just kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together saying, hey, I know this person who likes to renovate properties and is very good at it. And I know this person who's got some capital and just wants to be a passive investor. And you're just pulling all these pieces from different areas and putting them together and making a deal happen. So that's a definitely like a, an underrated way to be involved in real estate investing and just one of those unique ways you can. So yeah, how and how has that helped you that resourcefulness going forward in your real estate investing career? Like what other kind of things have you found from just being able to be resourceful like that? Well, it's being able to be a deal maker and see a deal when other people don't. And oftentimes the deal requires a, a third or fourth party to come in and help. So for example, I have a friend of mine who's now a realtor and then she started a realty company and she has investors that want to sell their properties. They have a bunch of single families. They want to sell their properties and 1031 exchange them into a, a bigger apartment complex. So they're in a, another stage of their life and they're going up the, the value ladder. She doesn't have a buyer that can swoop in and buy that much. So I said, well, why don't we just start a trust and we just buy them ourselves via a trust and we bring in private money lenders or private money investors to be a equity stakeholder in this trust. And so we basically create a little entity that goes and buys them. And then we have cash buyers from or investors from outside of here, not necessarily some of them might be in Arkansas, but a lot of them will be out of state, big type investors that are in California or the Northeast that can't find deals locally and they want to invest in cash flow someplace else, but they don't want to manage properties. You're solving everybody's problem and you're piecing this together and you might be able to make a big deal. I haven't done that deal yet, but it's a possibility. Yeah, just another one of those examples of you're going out, identifying a problem and figuring out how you can solve it and maybe pairing up contradicting problems. You've seen a problem here that you can solve with also solving somebody's problem over here. So yeah, when you can do that, well, backing up, what I like to say about real estate investors is at the end of the day, they're just problem solvers. Like you said, you're not necessarily just going out and trying to find capital to do a deal. You are really a problem solver. And that is so much more encompassing than just finding capital, finding deals, putting them together. and what you're doing is just proof of that. 
Have you ever heard this thing? Your, your net worth is equal to your network. Yes. Yeah. It's a great saying. So I was talking to a friend of mine that I was at a conference with another reason why you go to conferences, you make friends. And so because my friends have definitely upgraded over time because I'm meeting <laughs> the right kind of people. Now, one of the, he said, yeah, Hey, I think he's probably about your age, really sharp guy. And he said, well, I tell my kids that your net worth is equal to your network plus your ability to be, or times your ability to be able to solve problems. So if you can solve your network's problems, that's what your network is actually worth. And I thought, wow, I like that. I'm still in that. I'm going to do a podcast on that one. <laughs> awesome. I, I like that as well. I'm going to have to write that down. And so true, right? If you are surrounding yourself with maybe higher individuals than you used to be, and you're solving those higher level problems, then yeah, definitely your net worth is going to reflect that. So true. And uh, interesting how just one little piece of that equation changes everything. It does. So if you knew a bunch of people, but you couldn't help them, you still might get some benefits, but it's a reciprocal behavior. If you're just the guy always asking for help and you're never doing anything to reciprocate, you're not going to stay in that network for very long. But if you actually have some intellectual capital to share or some skill to share, then you can help solve their problems. And then the, your net worth compounds on itself. Yeah, definitely. Well, Paul, let's talk to audience members that are maybe looking to do their first deal or grow their portfolio, maybe beginning investors. What kind of advice would you have to those people that they could implement in the near future? Well, I always do it in this order. You want to invest in yourself first. You want to invest in your network. And then you want to then invest in assets. You certainly can buy things and not have enough wherewithal yet or have a very good network. But then you're scrambling. Take a step back, invest in yourself and read books, listen to podcasts like you are right now. Find other people who are listening to podcasts and hang out with them. One of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me was start your own meetup. And even if there's a good real where in the market that you are, you don't control the conversation and you aren't in front of the microphone. It's hard to get to meet people and some people are uncomfortable in those kind of settings. Why not just go to a local coffee shop and set up a, a meetup on meetup.com, which is very inexpensive, less than $75 a year and invite people to come talk to you about real estate and over coffee at a local diner or a cool little trendy place where you can sit down and get to know people. That is a way to get to know people. You're starting to learn. You can ask questions of them. What should I be learning? And you might be able to help them. They might be able to help you. You develop some strong relationships. Take that skill set that you get from those kind of meetings and then go and buy something. Yeah, I love that. It's a very actionable advice and one that anybody can really implement, right? You don't have to be a seasoned pro to put together a meetup. People aren't there just to hear you speak, but rather for the collective networking. And there's no reason anybody out there can't do that very actionable step of just put together a meetup, get together, put it out there, advertise it, get some buddies to come. And the next thing you know, it's grown and grown. And here you are of being that connector for this larger network than you used to have. You got it. So you say invest in yourself, invest in your network, and then invest in assets. So you can listen to books, listen to podcasts, start going to conferences, host a meetup, and then you start investing in real estate and really kind of getting into the nuts and bolts. And I think that's a very good blueprint for somebody getting started wanting to get their first deal. So many times people want to, you know, jump in feet first and, you know, start learning intricacies of wholesaling and getting deals mm -hmm. under contract and stuff. And they don't know simply what an ARV is or something like that. That, right. Oh, so they tend to, yeah. tend to get a little ahead of themselves, put the cart in yeah. front of the horse, if you will. Wholesaling can be tricky. And I certainly do a fair share of it, but to be a good wholesaler and not just one that gets all these people in these really not so good properties under contracts that you're just trying to get a thousand dollar sign fee that somebody will buy. That's not how to do this. What you'd much rather do if you're trying to do this is go with somebody else who's doing a deal, offer them some sort of value and learn how they do it and figure out what a good deal is. So many people who get started in wholesaling because it's a 
relatively low cost to do it. They're likely not following state laws. They, they might be towing the line if they're actually acting as an agent or not. There's a lot, there's, it's a very intricate subject and you want to do it right if you're going to do it. And if you don't have the intent or ability to buy a property, don't put it under contract. That's not the way to go about it. If you have the intent or the ability to actually purchase the property, it's a different conversation. Be super careful getting out there as this fly by night, I'm going to start up a business, I'm going to start wholesaling like crazy without having the financial wherewithal to actually buy something that you put in contract. Yeah, definitely. And the same thing goes for any other niche of real estate investing too, flipping, raising money, whatever it is. There's so many intricacies and so many details that you kind of got to get that base education before you really get started. Now, mm -hmm. it's a bit of like a catch-22. Earlier, we were saying, you know, hurry up and get that first deal and eat that first Pringle. But yep. at the same time, you've got to have that education. So there's like a fine line there, right? You there don't want to spend 10 years educating yourself and never right. do the first deal either. So it's like a very fine line and it can kind of sound contradicting if you does. hear yep. one piece of advice, soundbite, and then listen to another piece. It's kind of a... Don't develop your strategy based on soundbites. That's probably what <laughs> yeah, the best way to yeah. <laughs> actually do some thinking about it. Yeah, sure. When we're talking about mindsets, and it's such an important topic. What advice do you have to someone trying to develop the right mindset going forward? I think there are three kind of pivotal triggers, keystone habits that we should all have. And when it comes to mindset, one of those is that you absolutely need to be reading. And I don't care if it's an ebook or it's articles or if it's an actual book, that doesn't matter. But read. Too many people say, well, I'm not a good reader. I don't want to read. Well, listen to it on an audiobook. But you need to have this attitude of input in and output out. It's not all going to stick. So just put as much into your brain as you can. And some of it's going to filter through. I know most people spend a lot of time on Facebook, a lot of time on other social media platforms, a lot of time on YouTube watching not educational stuff. I'm guilty of that too. Very so guilty of that. <laughs> all the videos that you watch on Facebook that are just uh, very entertaining. If you would spend even half the time that you do browsing social media, actually learning something actionable, useful, working on your mindset or reading a book, that is so much better. The other keystone habit is meditating or and I hate that word because it has such a heavy ohm granola <laughs> feel to it. Sure. A time of big change in your life comes from when you're with your own thoughts, the ability to control your awareness and your focus. And that's what the all meditation is or silence practice or whatever you want to call it, prayer, fill in the blank. You want to harness your focus for extended amounts of time. And when your attention drifts away, which it inevitably will, the exercise is, oh, my thought just drifted. Bring it back to the breath or bring it back to whatever chant that you're saying or whatever song you're listening to. It doesn't even matter what you're focusing on, but focus on one thing for an extended amount of time. That exercise is the point of meditation. And that is what can help calm the monkey mind that Tim Ferriss calls in the back of your head. The gorilla that's inside you that just wants to like, just you can't control and it's always spinning in there. That is your higher order thinking can get out of control if you don't work on that piece of your mindset. Yeah, I love that. And uh, meditation is a really hard thing for me to do personally. It's something I try to do every morning. I like to use this app called Headspace. It's a guided self meditation. I've got to have that because I can't just sit in silence because next thing I know, I've got a cup of coffee in my hand and I'm thinking about this or that and then mm -hmm. 10 minutes has passed. So I've got to have somebody to like reel me back in. And I think it, it really does help. It just kind 
kind of, when you're done, you feel like kind of calm and collected and just have a little bit of clarity for your day, like kind of got your priorities in line and, and you're able to kind of focus singularity on something. I think it's been a real impactful change in, in my morning routine. So definitely agree with you there on meditation. And then did you have a mentioned three keystone habits, right? I did have a third keystone habit and it's exercise. And so that isn't necessarily directly about mindset, but you will think more clearly if you consistently exercise. So reading, meditating, and consistent exercise are what I believe are the, our three keystone habits. Yeah. And some people might be thinking like, Paul, I'm here to invest in real estate. I'm not here to mm -hmm. read and meditate and run and listen to podcasts. I want to get in the deal. But you're saying like, well, calm down, back up. Let's focus on ourselves first, build that foundation of... Well, it's back to the invest in yourself. And that's what I'm talking about when investing yourself. And that's not, I always hate generic answers like invest in yourself or live a life of your dreams. Well, those are all great things to do, but how? Well, how is what I just said is actually invest in yourself by reading and track what you've read, track what you've, um, how many days in a row you can exercise or how many days in a row that you can meditate. And the big lesson that I figured out and I continue to figure out is that consistency beats intensity. And when it comes to workouts, especially, we all think, oh, it's the new year's and I'm going to go in there and lift weights and you go and you hurt yourself or you're really sore. I would much rather you go in there and do one rep of three exercises and leave and only be there for 10 minutes than it would be for you to go in there and work out for an hour and get worn out and think about the startup cost the next day to do it again. Go back and, and this is true with any habit that you're working on, whether it be evaluating deals or making offers. I talk to people all the time about making offers. And when you just talk real estate, offers are the leading measure that you should be tracking on finding deals. If you're not making offers, you're not going to make deals. So many people talk about, well, I had, you know, you got 18 houses in 18 months. How'd you do that? I said, well, I made 400 offers. And that's, that's how. <laughs> yeah. When you say it like that, it's like, oh, wow, that's not very good, right? Like you had to make 400 offers to get those 18 deals. Yeah, that's a fake number, but it's probably right. close. Yeah, sure. I'm sure it is. I love that. And I think it's been important just kind of understanding your perspective on mindset from somebody who made the transition that so many people find themselves in of working a day job to flip that switch and becoming an investor and wanting more control of your time. And so many people have trouble doing that and like figuring out how to logistically do that. And for you, it kind of started with that mindset. And then you just figured out this process and figured out this path forward and you just went out and implemented it. It's a very proven way to do things. And you're just an example of that. So it's been awesome kind of hearing your take on that and uh, really appreciate you sharing those with us. You bet. Well, Paul, as we're wrapping up here, we wrap up every interview with a lightning round, just a series of questions we like to fire at our guests. Are you up for it? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, the first question in the lightning round is what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? It was overcoming my fear. I had a, a fear of failure and I told myself I was a risk averse person. And so the way I fixed that was that I took, I figured out what the next step is. Break down your big goal into what is the next action into the smallest thing. And if that is simply finding a mentor, then you like go do research and, and you mark off, okay, I'm going to research tomorrow for 30 minutes on finding a mentor. And that is the next action is to figure out how to search. Awesome. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Yeah. And it's learning. I'm constantly, constantly putting new information in and something sticks sooner or later. That's good. And so it's <laughs> focus and the ability to practice sustained concentration repeated over multiple days. So if I have a goal, I'm reading that goal, I'm visualizing that goal, and I'm thinking about that goal every day. Awesome. Paul, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day to day? 
Yeah, probably YouTube is life-changing if you use it right. So just about any answer that you want is at least briefly talked about, if not entirely answered on YouTube. So I have switched my habit of checking out at night and watching goofy TV shows or movies or YouTube channels to switching it to better YouTube channels. And YouTube adjusts to what you watch. Mm -hmm. And if it's starting to feed you crap, then you've been watching crap. Just start to feed you mindset and real estate and money management then you're watching the right stuff. And it kind of adapts and learns with you. And it's a really good indication based on what the, your suggestions are, what you've been watching. <laughs> so what you're saying is if you want to change your life, look at what your YouTube feed is. And uh, that's a good indication. <laughs> yeah, that is book worthy. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I like it. Well, what is a good book recommendation you've got and why? I really like a book that I recently read for the second or third time called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it talks about how to break through this self-imposed upper limit problem. Have you read it? No, I haven't. I've not even heard of this one. Yeah, it's probably one of the best books that I hear the few people talking about. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. The Big Leap. Okay. Yeah, we'll link that book in the show notes for audience members to pick up if they'd like. Now, last question in our lightning round, Paul, if you were to give advice to to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell yourself? Well, I don't think YouTube was around quite yet, but I would have spent less time goofing around on the internet and figured out how to do something with the internet, with the trends that are happening by always investing in myself. And the practical aspect of that would have been to kind of seen that there was this trend of video consumption and self-improvement in this internet craze. It's not a craze, it's the information age. I was in a computer engineering degree and I, I was like working as a computer guy and I didn't pick up, like it took me a really long time to pick up on what a blog was. And and I'm kind of ashamed to admit how long I forgot what a podcast was. Adjust to those sort of things faster and then use them as a tool to produce versus as a tool to consume. Yeah, definitely powerful stuff. And uh, I wish I would have uh, capitalized on the internet craze more than I did. Like you said, I didn't know what a podcast was for a shamefully long time. And here we are both podcast hosts now. So yeah. that's also something I want to ask you about. You host a podcast called Ready Investor One Podcast. I listened to a couple episodes this morning. It's really good. Good, really informative. And obviously the guests listening to this can tell you have a very like calm and like structured demeanor about you. And you just have a, an ability to, unlike me, clearly just kind of say what's on your mind and provide people with a path forward in, in their real estate investing journey. So tell us about what you talk about there and what audience members could expect if they go and listen to that podcast. Yeah, the whole idea behind that is actually really similar to yours, Jacob. And it's this idea of empowering busy professionals to invest in real estate generate passive or extra income so that they can quit their day job, break free from the matrix and lead a life of their own making. Wow. Just so clear. Like, you know, I stumble around words. I'm like, yeah, tell us what you're doing there. And you know, you're just succinctly like, this is what I'm doing. So have you ever heard of uh, an audio business card? Oh, you should check out and you should, uh, the listeners should check out the episode I have on the audio business card. What I just did is gave you my audio business card for my podcast. All right. Well, See, everybody has something to learn, including myself. I've got a ton of things to learn, so I love it. I'll certainly check that out. Highly recommend the audience members to check that out too. Once again, that's Ready Investor One Podcast. You can find that anywhere. You can find podcasts where you're listening to this one, I'm sure. Paul, as we're wrapping up here, what advice, any kind of takeaways, parting piece of advice, guidance would you like to leave with the audience members? 
Sure thing. I have a philosophy that I lie every day and it is an acronym. <laughs> I do. And it's an, I meant for you to respond that way because it gets your attention. I lie every day and it's an acronym for L-I-E. So every night when I lie down, I ask myself three questions. Did I learn something new today? Did I, I invest in something today? And did I enrich somebody else's life? And then I ask, did I tell a lie? So if I can say yes to the first two and no to, the, to or yes to the first three, did I learn something today? Did I invest in myself or my future? and did I enrich somebody else's life, then I did a good thing today. But if I did all that and I did not tell a lie, then I did something great. I love that. It's very powerful and uh, something I'm probably going to implement tonight when I go lay down and uh, think about that. So really like that. Paul, you've just got a ton of wisdom to share with people and it shows in this interview. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and look forward to having you back on in the future. For people that want to come learn more about you, where can they connect with you, learn more about you, find you online? Sure thing. So you can find me at my website, which is Paul David Thompson, the way you would typically assume that you would spell all of those. And you, I'm sure you're at it, you'll add it to the show notes. So it's pauldavidthompson.com. And I have a special free gift for everybody who comes from your website or comes from your podcast. So you just do pauldavidthompson.com slash Jacob. And what does that get them, Paul? It gets them a link to my new book that I'm coming out in January or in March of 2019. So that's called Escape. And it talks about how to break free from the rat race by investing in the three different pathways to freedom. I'm definitely going to check that out when it comes out this March. So that'll be a couple months from now. Definitely looking forward to that. Paul, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Goodbye. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Paul David Thompson. Paul shared a ton of great advice and actionable content in today's episode. And if you'd love to learn more, feel free to check out all of the resources we mentioned in the show notes. For more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.